0: This is the 117th quack cast. Whack'em Hard, Whack'em Once, and Stroke. There is no satisfaction in hanging a man who does not object to it. George Bernard Shaw. I work in a five-hospital system, and many of us practice at several hospitals. The residents rotate through at least three of the hospitals, and the peripatetic nature of health care allows word of a curious case to percolate through the system. My current resident mentioned that there was a case of a vertebral artery dissection in a young female shortly after chiropractic neck manipulation. Man, that's awful. Is she doing okay? Evidently. There are no permanent neurologic sequelae. She dodged that bullet. Or perhaps the noose. As I once calculated that the force of a neck crack is about 40% that of hanging by the neck and it has the same pathologic changes if it goes very bad every time i see a death in a movie where the neck is twisted to break it i think chiropractic although some people tolerate that better than others as the little girl in the in the exorcist demonstrated so nicely i have not podcast on central nervous system events related to chiropractic since about 2008 although the topic has been covered extensively on science-based medicine by Dr. Harriet Hall. I still suspect that occasionally there is the perfect storm of bad luck. The forces are perfectly aligned in a susceptible patient, and they get an embolic stroke or a vertebral artery tear. It is rare, and it is hard to do. It is very hard to injure people with what the chiropractors refer to as high-velocity, low-amplitude thrusts. That sounds so much better than whack-em-hard, whack-em-once. So the adverse effects of a quick partial hanging are rare. Improving causality with rare events is not that easy. Many people get the flu vaccine. Many people have heart attacks. A few people will have Guillain-Barre syndrome. By chance, some people will have a heart attack after their influenza vaccine. And others may get Guillain-Barre right after their influenza vaccine. So, did the vaccine cause the heart attack or the Guillain-Barré syndrome? Not always a straightforward answer, as the relationship between declining pirate populations and the increasing global temperatures clearly demonstrates. An aphorism by which we all live by is that association is not causation, although it is, like all aphorisms, lacking in qualifiers. Part of the willingness to assign causality depends, in my mind, like much of science-based medicine, upon consideration of prior plausibility, which is almost as difficult to say as toy boat and shoulder surgery. I have more trouble saying shoulder surgery three times really fast than I do toy boat, and prior plausibility is right up there on that list. Some issues are like parachutes. I do not need extensive trials to realize cause and effect from parachute use and not splatting on the tarmac. Other relationships are more subtle, realizing that azithromycin, in the right situation, increases cardiac deaths. It took an examination of 3 million prescriptions to find that azithromycin, a.k.a. Zithromax, leads to 47 to perhaps 245 excess cardiac deaths per million prescriptions depending on the patient risk. Young, healthy people have no risk. It's people with cardiac disease. There is biologic plausibility, given that some antibiotics can adversely affect the cardiac conduction system. But the average healthcare worker will never give enough azithromycin to kill someone, and even recognize it if they did. Although I have to admit, given the amount of azithromycin given in this country, I suspect there are healthcare providers who are prescribing a million prescriptions a year. In choosing an antibiotic or any intervention, you have to weigh the risk and the benefit from the treatment, as well as the risks and benefits of alternative therapies. I am certainly less inclined to give azithromycin to patients with cardiac disease if I have an equivalent alternative antibiotic. Since I am aware that I may do harm even rarely, I need to be circumspect in my use of azithromycin. As has been the topic of many of these podcasts and the blog Science-Based Medicine, the efficacy for chiropractic, such as it is, mostly revolves around low back pain. No reason to approach the neck and whack it hard, whack it once. I can find no-quality studies that demonstrate the efficacy of neck pain and chiropractic. Good studies being those where the treatment is unknown to both the patient and the provider. Difficult to do in chiropractic, I know, but there are placebo chiropractic. For the sake of this podcast, I will take it as written that being whacked hard and whacked once has zero benefit when applied to the neck. Those who wish to discuss the issue can go to science-based medicine. What then is the risk from a neck whacking? It depends. Some practitioners consider it a myth, and others find no risk. Quote, eighty-three chiropractors administered five million upper cervical adjustments without a reported incidence of serious adverse events. End of quote. Although rather than complications, they had symptomatic reactions. 338, 31%, patients had symptomatic reactions meeting the accepted definition. Intense symptomatic reactions occurred in 56 patients, 5.1%. So what were these symptomatic reactions? They included, and pay careful attention here, neck pain or stiffness, soreness, radiating down the arm or leg pain and discomfort, Arm or leg weakness, tiredness and fatigue, headache, dizziness and imbalance, nausea and vomiting, ringing in the ears, blurred or impaired vision, confusion or disorientation, depression or anxiety, fainting, low back discomfort and soreness. So, these are all neurologic symptoms. What are the symptoms of a vertebral artery transient ischemic attack? The most likely effect of whack 'em hard, whack 'em once to the neck: dizziness, vertigo, headache, vomiting, double vision, loss of vision, ataxia, numbness, and weakness, involving structures on both sides of the bodies, are frequent symptoms in patient with vertebral basilar artery occlusive disease. The most common signs are limb weakness, limb and gait ataxia, ocular motor palsies, the double vision, and oral pharyngeal dysfunction. End quote. Anyone besides me worried about comparing and contrasting those two lists? Remember, these are not recognized as worrisome. As they say, 83 chiropractors administered 5 million upper cervical adjustments without a reported incidence of a serious adverse event, but 31% did have symptomatic reactions, which I would call a TIA if they showed up in my emergency room, a transient ischemic event to the brain. And this is not the only study that reported symptoms that could be due to transient ischemic attack in the vertebral artery distribution. Quote, adverse events after any of the first three treatments were reported in 65% and 13% of study populations reported these events to be severe in intensity. The most common adverse events affected the neuromuscular system or were pain-related, whereas symptoms such as tiredness, dizziness, nausea, or ringing in the ears were uncommon, less than 8%. So about less than 8% of the time you give patients a stroke, or at least a TIA. Not that that's recognized by chiropractic. In both series, the symptoms were brief and mild. Dodge that bullet, or that noose. Like I say, it's hard to hurt people. Suggestive and worrisome, especially as the practitioners of chiropractic seem clueless about the potential significance of symptoms they are apparently inducing, but that is not a surprise given their lack of real medical training. I had to snicker when I read, Self-reported recognition of undiagnosed life-threatening conditions in chiropractic practice, a random survey. It is estimated that a chiropractor would see an undiagnosed serious illness every 2.5 years noting a variety of illnesses covering everything but, it seems, the neurologic disease they may be inducing. There are case reports of strokes following whack hard whack 'em once Seems a very reasonable complication to me, given what they are doing to the fragile structures in the neck. But just because it's reasonable does not necessarily follow that it is true. There was an interesting report where they evaluated all the case reports of stroke that followed WACCM hard, whack 'em once, and they know the quality of the case reports is poor. They compared the information provided by case reports, and they used the Bradford Hill causality criteria as the standard. Most of the case reports did not provide sufficient causality data from a Bradford Hill perspective, and I have talked about the Bradford Hill causality on another podcast. They point out the need for standardized reporting to provide better information, which is a valid point across the medical literature. They did find 901 cases of cervical artery dissection and 707 incidents of stroke associated with Whackham hard Whackham once. And they conclude, as a chiropractor might, quote, As a result, the value of these reports toward informing or understanding our relation between cervical spinal manipulation and cervical artery dissection is minimal, end quote. I'm not so sure. While the case reports may not be perfect, when you read the individual reports, they appear compelling given the potential mechanism of injury. It is much closer to a parachute than it is a zithromycin. There is a more recent systematic review of stroke following whack hard whack once The study, being done by chiropractors, they are understandably reticent to conclude harm. Quote, Conclusive evidence is lacking for a strong association between neck manipulation and stroke, but is also absent for no association. Now, when I read the Cassidy study, which I've written and podcast about before, the one that is most often touted as demonstrating a lack of association between strokes and whack em hard whack 'em once I thought it demonstrated an increase in stroke in the young, the group who should not get a stroke. And they found the same thing in this review increased strokes in the young. At least that's what I think they are saying. There are those who may have questioned my statistical sophistication, and I will say that my continued rereading of that article proves them right. But why do the young have more strokes? In a wild flight of fancy, they hypothesize that it is due to drinking and infection. Quote, Cassidy et al. used a case crossover design to correct for lower health status of PCP patients, but this design is limited in controlling factors that can change rapidly. Binge drinking and acute infection may precipitate occlusive strokes, which are capable of causing severe headache before stroke presentation. If PCP patients are more prone to sporadic binge drinking, and acute infection in chiropractic patients. A huge stinking if, let me tell you. This could lead to baseline elevation of the PCP Visit Association for the case crossover analysis, end quote. Though I think you have to be drunk to go see a chiropractor. More strokes, yeah. The young drink, yeah. And they have more venereal diseases, so yeah. It must be a fact that they're drunk and infected. That's why they had more strokes, Yeah. That's the ticket. Weird. Me? I'd have to be drinking very heavily and have syphilitic dementia before I allowed someone to whack my neck hard and whack it once. There may be an opportunity in the future to determine the risk of stroke from whack-em-hard, rack-em-once. Many hospitals now have a stroke program where they collect voluminous data about their patients. It would be interesting to graft a questionnaire onto the stroke program evaluation looking for risk from whack-em-hard, whack-em-once, and the development of stroke. Now there is a research project for someone who has more time and expertise than me. If you're a preponderance of data kind of gal, as I am, preponderance of data, not a gal, there is more data to suggest that the risk of stroke after whack-em-hard, whack-em-once to the neck to give one pause we get black box warnings for less frequent drug complications. I doubt I will ever see a journal article entitled The Myth of Azithromycin Death. But then, I pay attention to the data and am not invested in an intervention with no basis in reality that only offers harm without benefit. It must be tough when your raison d'etre only causes harm. I kind of feel pity. Hanging is too good for a man who makes puns. He should be drawn and quoted Fred Allen. For those of you who do not know who Fred Allen was, and I pity you if you don't, he was a very acerbic comedian from the 1930s and 1940s whose autobiography has the best title ever, Treadmill to Oblivion. And that ends the 117th Quackcast.